So, Mark 9 records the story of Jesus' transfiguration. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him as he treks to the top of a high mountain. There he's transfigured before them. His appearance changes. His clothes become dazzling white. And then Elijah and Moses appear, and they're talking with them. They're talking with Jesus. And Peter and James and John, they're stunned. They're dumbfounded. dumbfounded. They are terrified, absolutely terrified. And then a cloud appears, and it covers them, and God's voice comes out of the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, sure. That goes without saying, doesn't it? I mean, why wouldn't the disciples listen to Jesus? After all, Peter has declared that Jesus is the Messiah of God, the long-promised Messiah. They all know it. They, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What do you do with God's Messiah? You listen to what he says. You do what he tells you to do. You go where he goes. But there are some things that all of us don't want to hear. Some things we refuse to hear. Some things we can't bear to accept. So we ignore them, we avoid them, we argue against them, we deny them, we push them away. There are things that Jesus says to his disciples that they do not want to accept. They shut their ears, they close down their minds and their hearts to him. To, to, uh, to him when Jesus says those things. Our passage for today is from Mark chapter 14, verses 27 to 72. This is our 22nd sermon in our series through, God, through Mark's gospel. So turn with me to Mark chapter 14, 27 to 72. Now, Jesus has been trying to prepare his disciples for what is about to come. He has been warning them of things that will happen so that they will be ready. They'll be ready to face them. Here in this passage, Jesus has another series of warnings for his disciples. So again, turn with me to Mark 14. I'm going to begin with verses 27 and 31, but as I read through this passage... Ask yourself three questions. What warning and counsel is Jesus giving? How do the disciples receive or respond to this warning? And then third, what happens to them as a result of their response to Jesus' warning, whether they respond or whether they resist Jesus' warning? So Mark chapter 14, beginning with verses 27 to 31. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, Before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, 
even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So two warnings come from Jesus in this passage. The first one is to all the disciples. He says to them, you will all fall away. How do the disciples respond? No way. We will not disown you. We will not fall away. Then there's a very specific warning to Peter. Jesus says to Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. What is, Jesus, what is Peter? How does he respond? Even if all the others fall away, I will not. The others might fall away, Jesus. You know that. But even if they do, I will not fall away. You can stake your life on it. That's Peter. Keep that in mind as we go continue on through this passage. Now, before we leave this section, 2731, though, I also want you to notice something else. In addition to the warnings, there's a promise in this passage. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He's making a promise. You will all fall away, but I will not disown you. You will disown me, but I will not disown you. Now, where does Jesus say that in this? He's saying that I'm going to be struck down. This is the fifth time in Mark's gospel where he talks about being killed. I will be struck down. I will be tortured. I will be killed. All of that stuff's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified. And all along, every time Jesus gave that warning, every time he told his disciples this, they could not hear it. They did not want to hear it. And because of that, they missed the promise that came with it. I will be struck down. I will be killed. But I will arise after I have risen. I will go be ahead of you into Galilee. That's a promise to them. It's a twofold promise. What Jesus is saying here to his disciples that they could not hear then was that I'm going to go before you. I am going to go before you. Death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. He's promising to them that death will not be the last word. In Christ, death will not hold us either. Jesus is stronger than the powers of death. And he says, I will go before you. Jesus does not abandon us. Even when we abandon him in our self-centeredness, our foolish pride, our stubborn sin, our fickle faith. Jesus' love overcomes our sin. If our current crisis has shown us anything, what it has shown us is that none of us are in control. None of us are self-sufficient. 
all of us need someone bigger than ourselves to lead us, to go before us. And we have that someone. Jesus is our protector, our good shepherd, the one who loves us and lays down his life for us. The one who leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He's telling his disciples, you've forsaken me, but I will not forsake you. I will gather you together again, and I will lead you. I will not abandon you, even though you have abandoned me. Let's move on now to Mark chapter 14, 32 to 42. Okay? And as we do so, keep in mind what's been going on so far. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus and his disciples go to a place called Gethsemane, probably an olive grove at the foot of the Mount of Olives. There Jesus tells his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he takes Peter, James, and John with them. And he tells them, I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. Now, why is Jesus so troubled, so overwhelmed? It's because he knows. He knows that if he keeps going on the path that he's been on, the agony of the cross awaits him. And it's not just the humiliation and the torture beforehand. It's not just the excruciating agony of the crucifixion itself. It's the even more horrific agony of being separated for a time from the presence and love of his Abba, of his Father. 
Abba, Jesus cries out, take this cup from me. He wants to stop. Jesus wants to stop, to turn around, to not take the road of the cross. So Jesus prays for an hour, praying through all this. And and as he wrestles in prayer, he finds he is given the strength he needs to be faithful to his Father's will. Yet not what I will, but what you will, Father. He prays for that hour. He goes back to Peter, James, and John. Jesus had told them he was overwhelmed. He had told them he was in agony. He had asked them to keep watch with him, but they didn't keep watch. They fell asleep. Two more times, so three in total. Jesus goes off to pray and comes back to find Peter and James and John sleeping. Jesus tells them to watch and pray. He warns warns them that if they do not pray, they will fall into temptation. And they give in to the temptation to sleep. And because of their failure to pray, they become vulnerable to a whole host of temptations as the rest of the passage will show us. Pray so that you will not fall into temptation, Jesus tells them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. In their hearts, in their desires, they wanted to be faithful to Jesus. They wanted to watch and pray, but the flesh in their flesh They were weak in their human body and sinful nature with its moral and physical frailties. They did not have the strength. They tried to stay awake, but they were full after the Passover meal. It was late at night. They were exhausted both physically and emotionally. They wanted to pray, but the desire to sleep was so tempting. They gave in to that temptation. They let themselves just fall asleep. Jesus is also exhausted. In fact, he's far more exhausted than any of his disciples. He's fighting the ultimate spiritual battle and carrying an emotional load that none of us can even imagine. He also faces the temptation to simply go to sleep. But he doesn't give in to that temptation. Instead, he prays. Jesus prays so that he will not fall into temptation. He prays to be given spiritual strength so that his spirit would enable him to overcome the temptations of his flesh. Now, all of us, we also are vulnerable to a whole slew, a whole host of temptations during this time that we are now in. We're vulnerable to the temptation to fear, to fret, to flee our responsibilities. We're tempted to turn inwards and to tune out the needs of those around us. Jesus tells us that if we pray, we will be given strength and courage. We will be given peace and hope We will be given wisdom and discernment and direction to know what to do. But wait. Wait for a moment. 
let's think things through. When we pray, God gives us strength to resist temptation, to overcome temptation. But we need strength to pray. How do we pray for strength when we don't have strength to pray? How do we pray for strength when we don't have strength to pray? Here's my answer. As soon as we turn our thoughts to God, as soon as we open our mouths to begin praying, God immediately places his hand upon us and presses his strength into us. So, how much strength does it take to croak out, Father, help. Father, help. Not so much strength, right? So let's pray. Let's start with this simple prayer. Father, help. Lord, I'm so tired. Help me to pray. Give me faith and strength to pray. Give me wisdom to know how to pray. And then from this simple prayer, God will give us strength to keep on praying. As we pray, we'll be given strength to resist and overcome whatever temptations we may be facing. And then, even if we still fall, even if we give in to the temptation to not pray, Well, we still have this, the promise. Out of love, Jesus fought for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. He died for us on the cross of Golgotha. He rose from the grave, and he goes before us as our good shepherd. Knowing this isn't a reason to give in to temptation. But knowing this, I think, gives us strength even to press on with Jesus. So let's be people who watch and pray. Now, I'm going to summarize the rest of the passage. In verses 43 to 52, Judas betrays Jesus. One of his own disciples, Judas, betrays Jesus. Jesus is arrested. He lets himself be arrested, actually, because that's his Father's will for him. The Scriptures must be fulfilled, Jesus said. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That's what happens. His prophecy is fulfilled. The shepherd is killed. Jesus is arrested. The sheep gets uh, scattered all the disciples fall away. In verses 53 to 65, Jesus goes on trial before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews. He goes on trial before the assembled power of the Jewish religious authorities. And what happens? He stands firm. He does not give in to the temptation to try to save himself. In verses 66 to 72, Peter follows Jesus at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there, Peter finds himself on trial before a servant girl. 
on three separate occasions. She accuses him, accuses him of being with that Nazarene Jesus. And each time, Peter denies us. In fact, the third time, he cries out, I do not know the man that you are talking about. I do not even know him. And so the disciples fall away. They fall away. They fulfill what Jesus prophesied. They fall into temptation. Judas betrays him. All the disciples fall away. Peter denies him three times before the rooster crows twice. Jesus, however, Jesus watches and prays. He does not fall into temptation. He obeys his Father to the end. I have some questions I'd like you to ask yourself. What are my specific temptations in this time? Am I listening to Jesus? Am I praying? If not, what am, what am I tempted to trust in instead of Jesus? Is my deepest trust in my job? Is it in my 401k? Is it in the stock market? Is it in my own ability to control things? Is it in my advanced planning? Is it in my ability to, to stock up 375,000 rolls of toilet paper? What am I putting my trust in? What am I afraid of, most anxious about, grieving the most about? Why? Why is it these things? What am I focused on? Where do my thoughts keep going? Are my thoughts, my focus on God? Who he is and what he says, what he promises? Are they mostly on myself? Are they mostly on others? And how God wants me to care for them? Am I leaning on God ultimately? Or am I leaning on myself? Let me tell you some questions that we, as a journey staff and council and leadership team, are pray, talking about, praying about together. What is God saying to us and how can we hear him better we're trying to figure out how to do that more and more with one another and together what is god doing and how can we join him in it the staff have been meeting each day at noon virtually to pray together and share together what god seems to be saying to us what are the people of our church what do you all need from us as a leadership team, most need from us? How can we provide the best spiritual and pastoral care possible? How do we lead you, our church family, well so that you are strengthened and encouraged in faith and in hope and in love 
and so that God is revealed and glorified in and through you. And then, what does our community need from us? How can we contribute to the care and well-being, the flourishing of our community in the name of Jesus? How can we show the love of Jesus? How can we be salt and light in our community so that people experience the goodness, the love, the hope, the salvation of Jesus, the glory of God? Sociologist Rodney Stark written over 30 books. He writes in his uh, book, The Rise of Christianity, has an, and also in The Triumph of Christianity, he talks about what it was that enabled the church, the early church, to overcome hostility and grow so rapidly within the Roman, Roman Empire. And he traces it back, ultimately, to things that one of the key, big things he traces back to is how the Christians responded to pandemics of their day. Things like smallpox and bubonic plague. And what happened when, when the infection spread, the Romans, they fled their cities and towns. They just abandoned the people who were sick and they fled out of fear, out of terror. The Christians, on the other hand, stayed put and they went house to house and street to street looking for whom they could help. Many of them died doing that. But they died with their eyes fixed upon Jesus. They stayed behind to nurse and to feed not only their own relatives, but also their pagan neighbors and the comfort they offer to people drew them to the God of all comfort. The early church was known, even by their harshest critics, for, the sa- for their sacrificial love in times of crisis. Years from now, people look back And they will ask the question, what was the church of that day known for, this day, this coronavirus day? What will the church of our day be known for? Here's the truth. We are over our heads. All of our plans, all of our props have been blown up. They've been blown up. We do not know what to do in and of ourselves. And that is perfectly okay. It's okay because we do not have to figure things out on our own. We don't have to protect ourselves or provide for ourselves. We have a good shepherd who leads us, who gives us all that we need to follow him. So let's watch and pray so that we do not give in to temptation to fear. Let's watch and pray so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's watch and pray so that we reveal the presence, the peace, the love of Jesus to a world that is reeling right now. We are 
Christ's community. We are Christ's church. We belong to him. We are Christ's embodied presence in his dark and troubled world. And we are meant by Christ, called by Christ to be his gift to this world right now. We are Christ's gift to this world right now. That's our calling. Christ is the only hope of this world, now and for eternity. He's entrusted us to make this hope known. So maybe watch and pray so that we can go out and serve to the glory of Christ and to the good of this world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that you go before us. We thank you that you gather us and you send us. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to pray, to watch and pray so that we do not give in to the temptation to fear. We ask that you'd help us to watch and pray so that we do not give in to the temptation to slumber and to escape. Lord, help us to be your church. Help us to be your gift to the world. We ask in your strong and mighty and beautiful name, Lord Jesus. Amen Amen. and amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. Look on him and...
and Son of God. I cannot die My soul is purchased By His blood My life is hid With Christ on high With Christ my Savior And my God With Christ my Savior And my God Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one risen Son of God. the benediction together I just want to say that I've never been so grateful and so proud of being part of this church this journey church body I want to say I am so grateful for all the ways that you have been and are being the church now in the past and especially now all the generosity all the Encouragement, thank you so much. I love you all. Okay, receive now the benediction. It comes from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, May he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.